There we go. Welcome to T3G Tangents. This is Panels on Pages. Today, welcome, Lord Ramp and Hump, to the broadcast. Uh, this is Panels on Pages. This is where we talk comic books and all things comic book related. Uh, today is going to be a very, I'm not going to say very, very short one, but it's going to be a shorter one than normal. We're only going to talk about one book and we're going to kind of branch off off of that. Uh, because I am doing a little, little special extra broadcast tonight uh, with the creator of a book. Uh, so I've got a very special guest for a later show. So I wanted to kind of keep this one short and sweet. Um, this is a book that I picked up. Uh, we're discussing Warren Ellis's uh, Etheric Mechanics. Uh, this is a book that I picked up at a half price books, which is a used bookstore around here. Uh, this is the version I have, the... Uh, the black and white cover that's very hard to see wow the white balance on this is terrible uh i'm also blue for some reason i've never understood that for here for this angle i don't know what it is uh but this is a very fantastic book in that it this is the convention version color i don't like it because the inside is black and white and i really like the the overall aesthetic of the cover being black and white um apparat Apparat uh, is an imprint of Avatar Press where Warren Ellis did a lot of really, really cool books. Uh, but a lot of like kind of unsung heroes like this book. I think this is kind of a really low-key book that most people don't talk about, most people don't know. So the premise, the, 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 the thing it's trying to sell you, and I don't know, I, I, Obviously, I'm hinting that it's not that, and I really don't want to give it away. It's a short read. It's a very, very thin book. I mean, it's like, what, does it have page numbers? No. Um, I mean, if, if it's 200 pages, I'm actually, hold on. There's a, there's a way to know this. 52 pages in total, and that's with, like, the extra covers and stuff. Um, if, if you want to read it, I think you should read it, because I think it's a great story. The cool thing about this is it's clearly set in some sort of steampunk-ish, like steampunk-ish uh, 1900s London. Um, you you follow this character, uh, Dr. Robert Watcham. Um, he's coming home from the front. He, he He's kind of lamenting on the state of things, flying machines and all this kind of crazy stuff that's happening. And uh, he goes home to a detective and this is i think the greatest moment he says i trust your wound no longer bothers you unduly he says i, I somehow doubt news of my accident reached london go on i know you're dying to and then he gives him the reason why he knows and i'm like oh it's it's, it's sherlock watson and it's sherlock and home and sherlock and sherlock holmes and dr watson Hey, one can't speak. I'm like, it's clearly like Watson and Holmes. Like that's 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 what it is. But it's weird because like, why wouldn't you? Because like, they're public domain characters. It's clearly a different setting. I mean, there's talk of you know defending the front and Mars and all this kind of crazy stuff. So I'm like, this is like alternate fantastical history, and I don't understand why we're even dealing with a like it's a different name. Because what what do they call them? Um, his name is so weird. It's like Saxton something. Sax Raker. Oh, yeah. Saxamundham is his is his full name. Sax Raker is uh, is 
Sherlock Holmes. And I don't, I just don't understand it. I don't understand it. You know, I'm reading it. I'm like, why is this happening? Now, the thing about it is, I can't, like, like I said, I really don't want to give it away. I can't tell you why, but it is a really good reason. It's a very, very interesting, the, the story that builds, and this is why I wanted to pull this one specifically. I have a couple other books I was going to talk about, but like I said, I've got a different kind of uh, approach to this that I want to do. I... <laughs> I think Warren Ellis is one of the greatest greatest modern writers we have. I think he's written some of the most interesting stories. I think he's written some of the best the best concepts and the best approaches to a lot of a lot of really kind of touchy subjects especially for their time. Um the the thing that comes to mind is uh, authority and we'll get to that cuz that's in the A's we'll, we'll be getting to that in the next few weeks for sure. But it's in the authority, starting in Stormwatch, but mostly in the authority, he had a. There's really no other way to say this. He had a gay Batman and Superman, and it worked like so well, so well that y- y- it's hard to think about them not being that. It's hot. It's hard. Not Batman and Superman. He had characters Midnighter and uh, and Apollo, but it's hard to. It's hard to think about that book being done any other way because it's just such a key element of it that and and it's and it's not done in some sort of like weird flashy way it's just like part of their daily life these like little romantic moments like talking about killing people you know and uh because these guys are murderers the authority are the murderous bastards realistically but it's just these moments where they talk to each other in these like sweet, sweet nothings during the middle of like a super violent bloody fight. So it's just the 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 nuance of how he writes is really interesting to me, and I think it's really, re- it's a really attractive way of writing. I, I, it pulls me into a story every time. I've read this book before, and as soon as I started reading it, I was like, oh, I really like. I know the outcome, but. Uh, I really, I'm into it. I'm in already, and I'm like, I, I'm trying to pull all these little things. Um, they they pull a case, you know, as as Holmes and Watson are are want to do. And uh, <laughs> well, Watson, well, Watson, uh, I always forget his damn name in the book because I always want to call him just Watson. Uh, watch him, right? Yeah, whatever. Uh, he goes upstairs and he has this flashback of this giant robot attacking London or wherever he was stationed. Uh, it may not have been London. Um, and it's just this like ridiculous moment in a book that's essentially Holmes and Watson just in crazy settings. But it's just this like Royal British Navy versus giant steampunk robot. Things that most people do not think of, things that things that most writers do not think of. Uh, I think that's that's another strength of uh, of Warren Ellis is that he he pulls from everything. So the things that come up in these in his books, especially, it, most people don't do. Most people don't write the way he does. So it, it's just very interesting. I also think the art choice for this was perfect. It's it's like a melancholy indie book feel. 
written by a major name. Uh, who's the who's the who's the artist? Always forget. Yep, nope, not gonna try to pronounce that. Oh, come on. There we go. The artist is that. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I can't pronounce that. Uh, Gianluca is probably the first, but nope, not really gonna try the last one. It's it's uh, hella Italian, and I'm not gonna do it, and I'm not gonna butcher it. <laughs> um. But I'm actually, I'd be interested to know what else he's done. Let's, let's see. Let's see. Okay, so he's got his own, uh, own little website. Hmm. He's got his own book, Ignition City. Very cool. Yeah, so he's been he's been working. He's been putting in some work around this around the around the the comic book space. I really thoroughly enjoy this book. I think it's it's an incredible um kind of cheeky look at the way th the, the way we treat things, the way we treat uh some fictional properties and some ideas. Uh there's a lot of reference to kind of um classic home stories. Um, when he, when he meets him, he says, do you remember God's Falls? And that's, um, for the Sherlock Holmes fans, that's the, uh, Reichenbach Falls. I can't believe I remembered that, first of all. <laughs> that's the Reichenbach Falls story. Um, uh, it's kind of, uh, the, the, it's the, I think, I want to say that was the last book that, and now I'm going to not remember his damn name. It's the last book the original author wrote. Oh, it really bothers me that I don't remember. I have the volume upstairs. Welcome, General Aaron, to the broadcast. We're discussing uh, Warren Ellis's etheric mechanics. Um, Reichenbach Falls was the last story of Holmes before the original author died. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <gasps> Knew it was going to come to me. Uh, <laughs> it's the last story he wrote, and it's where Sherlock Holmes died. Obviously, since then, the the Sherlock Holmes brand has evolved, and you know he didn't die, came back, etc. There's been, I think, there are to this day new books being written in the series uh, of uh, of Sherlock Holmes. It's very, it's just that's a very interesting like aside to me to begin with. But it's just these like little throwbacks because uh, as soon as he shows up, he says, "I've even got the title for you." They they go on the oh I, he he writes stories about the cases and all that stuff. It's very interesting to me because he says they even have the title for you, Sax Raker in the case of the man who wasn't there. And I actually think that might have been one of the original stories. I think that was the first, if you watch the, the new series, the new series uh, with uh, Cumberbatch, I think that's actually one of those, I think that's the first episode. Uh, Sherlock Holmes and the case of the man Let me see. The man who, there's a man who disappeared. Hmm. Something about the disappearing man. Is the disappearing man something like that? Regardless. 
Uh, yeah, so it, it's similar, but the as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, that might be, that might be the, that that first storyline line from the first from the TV show, TV series, and uh, it kind of is. Again, I really don't want to give it away because it's this is to me like a, a classic Holmesian twist. It, it you don't see it coming, and then so like there's a twist, and then there's like an additional twist, and that's my favorite kind of writing. My favorite kind of writing is where you do not know what's about to happen. You just genuinely have no clue, and I think in this situation you absolutely have no idea about what's happening. You. You follow it along, you're like, all right, I'm I'm with you, and then it takes a turn, and you're like, ah, okay, so that's what's going on, cool. And then you you kind of think ahead, and you're like, this is how it's going to resolve itself, and but it doesn't. And then it just it's takes another turn, and then you're just like, oh, man. Uh, one of my favorite books that I read that was just like that was, oddly enough, uh, James Patterson's First to Die, which like really sold me on that entire series, because the last probably ten chapters of the book... Every time I finished a chapter, I was just blown away and I needed to read the next one because I, I thought it was going to go this way, then it went this way, and then it just kept pivoting. And I, by the end, I had no clue what was going on. Absolutely no clue. And that's kind of, that's kind of what you get here. Um, like I said, you, you, you know, they, they catch this case, they go after it, and uh, there's just very... I love the the transition. He takes the time to to clean himself off, like he, what you know, washes the war off of himself, and goes out into polite society. And I love how he says, "What would you have me know of your war?" And having just had that flashback to that giant robot and clearly like a PTSD episode, it's it's one of those things that it, it's kind of like everyday questions, right? People come back from being out deployed whatever and people ask them like oh what what was it like it's fucking a war like how what do you what do you mean what was it like <laughs> like welcome vj how you doing today um so it's just very interesting I, I, again it's the little nuanced stuff that that just really brings out the book and the characters um like i said i'm only gonna go so far because i don't want to give away the the story but my like it's just Again, very, very awesome Holmesian. I am. Thank you very much. Uh, very awesome Holmesian moments. Like, pray, silence, I'm thinking. And that to me is like, Holmes has always been a character that I've absolutely loved just because at the end of the day, he's smarter than you. He knows it. He makes sure that you know it. And no matter what happens, he knew it was going to happen. I like I I always thought like the first time and this was probably grade school. I the first time I read a home story, I thought he was the most condescending jerk on the planet. Um, you know, it, you know, you get to the end and he's like, "Wow, elementary, my dear Watson," and goes down the list of things like, kind of a "How could you miss this?" And I'm just like, "Wow, this guy's a jerk." This guy, but then at the same time, I'm like, "How could they miss that?" <laughs> Like, so it's, he's right, but he, this is the way he goes about it. He's a jerk. He's a complete jerk. There's just no way around that. See, but then this is kind of cool because again, the little, little details he goes through, he looks at all the things that you would see Holmes do 
and I, I love that in this kind of micro moment, it's it takes away from the the enormity of, of the premise, the this steampunk universe with flying machines and and Mars fronts and all these things. It's just this finite moment of there's a dead body. We're examining it, it and I think th- th- this to me is kind of like the best way p- stories are told. I think uh, there was a, a great TV series. I think it was called Almost Human. That might be correct. It, it, uh, it was ah uh, oh, the guy who played McCoy in the new Star Trek movies. The guy who played Dread. I can't think of his name for some reason. Um, he was the main dude. He had. His partner was a robot uh, android. I, I don't remember what they called them. Um, but it was these, like, super huge concepts, you know, like, cyber, like full cybernetic life and crazy, like, memory devices and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it really, really nuanced level, it was just a cop story. And, like, the best parts of it were him just investigating stuff, him just finding out, you know, the, the reason something happened and, you know, finding a murderer. Like, the... the at the end of the day, I think the the larger components, like the grand scope of stuff, has to just influence the story. The story has to be the the most important piece. So, like this being at its core a Holmes and Watson story, regardless of the like ridiculous giant robots and all the space travel and stuff. At the end of the day, Holmes is Holmes, Watson is Watson, and that's what the story's about. And, like, even the guns, and it's funny, because it's a steampunk world, even the guns and, like, the technology is very much 1900s, but, like, again, there's flying vehicles outside. <laughs> there are flying ships, and the, I think that's a giant wing. <laughs> like, there's uh, there's attacks from the sky, all sorts of stuff. Uh, it's just very interesting to me how different writers approach this kind of stuff. Because a lot of people try this out. They, a lot of people take, like, classic, you know, 1800s, 1900s, uh, even modern day, and then just propel the technology ahead. And it's very interesting to, see, to for me to see how some writers rely then heavily on that technology, and, like, that's what the story's about. Like, whatever is happening is happening, but the story's about that technology. It's like, if it's a murder case, it's about, like, all the fancy ways that they're going to find the murderer. It's not about the investigative work. It's not about the people. It's about, oh, pull up this technology and check out this thing. And here's this robot and here's this other thing. Whereas the flip side of that is, I think, the better way to do it personally um, is to focus on the characters. Because I think that's, at the end of the day, without the characters, you can have all the cool tech on the planet. But, like without something to use it without somebody to to drive that story it's there's just nothing <laughs> it's just boring like it, it's cool to come up with crazy stuff like again you have this macro shot of they walk into this room a lot of crazy technology and then the next shot is people and again between <laughs> between all of this i mean there's been pages at this point where there's been no no mention of this grander technology. Like right there, you have a flying car. And then we're inside, we're talking to people, and the house is very 1907 England. Everything is 1907 England. Just like those little extra details. Like crazy cars. <laughs> like mad jets shooting bombs at them. And it, it, it's, it, it just adds to the story, I think. It, it's just putting... It's kind of what I think Transformers tries to accomplish. 
Transformers, I think, tries to put us in the Sam Witwicky seat. In the, I don't know his name, but Mark Wahlberg's seat. <laughs> they, they try to put, that's like, that's us, right? That's us, just people dealing with giant robots fighting. And that's kind of what we're having to deal with. Like, it's, the, but I think Transformers fails at that. I think Transformers' most entertaining stuff is definitely the giant robots fighting. I think the people in the Transformers uh, movies, at least, I think the, the shows have done it a little bit better, but just, I, but I think mostly because they've reduced the impact of the humans. Uh, welcome, Elliot. I think uh, the focus on people above the grander technological or situational story, I think, is is the better way to approach things. Like I said, I think Transformers is an excellent excellent kind of counter example to this is. It's not like Transformers movies are not great movies. They're just not. Thanks for the share, Elliot. Thanks. Transformers movies are not great movies. They're entertaining as heck. I am I'm always down to watch a Transformers movie. I watched the first one probably ten times. I've watched the the what's it called the commentary three or four times. I, I'm a fan of the movies, but they're not great films. I don't watch them for the human drama or the human story. It's very much just, eh, let's, let's, watch, let's watch some giant robots fighting on screen. That's really, that's really what we want to see. I don't really care if Sam Witwicky is not liked at school. I really don't care. <laughs> like, and, and I think in mo for the most part, in, at least in the first movie, they treated Sam Witwicky as a, as a plot device. It was, you have the glasses which have the map. And then that's, it's really like these little, like it, it wasn't a, but the problem then was that they did try to build them. Oh, like there's this romantic thing with, with the other girl and like, nah, it's, it's, you can just have the glasses that have the map and we can move on with the robot stuff. I'm okay with that. <laughs> like, I, I, I think they, they, I think a lot of creators try to ground stuff when it doesn't need to be. And and go super lofty when they should ground stuff. Thanks for the share, VJ. I think it's it's very interesting to see how creators and writers approach different stories. Welcome, Blaster. Um, I think it's very interesting to see how people uh, approach different stories because having, I think, the human component and having that be the driving force of a story, I think... I think um, a transformer story since I keep using that example I think a transformer story would be very very difficult to do strictly from the point of the humans I think having the transformers as just the the MacGuffins the the the, the story elements I think it doesn't work because they have their own personalities and I think that's where the conflict for me comes in transformers have their own personalities transformers have their own stories so to try to like shoehorn in human stories between all that it doesn't work whereas in something like this this is a holmes watson story that happens to have flying cars and crazy technology as opposed to if this was about you know 20 you know, 25th century robots and then also trying to shove in Watson and Holmes. Like the story is about although although one of the one of the best things on the planet, and I will I will I will say this without reservation, 
share this right now. <laughs> and it's it's actually, ironically enough, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share the intro. We're gonna pause it. We're gonna window capture this. The best, the best kind of interesting out there adaptation. Yeah, so this this is basically Sherlock Holmes with flying cars, um, also with with like mad giant robots. <laughs> but I think an interesting, a really interesting kind of different out there take on Sherlock Holmes was. There we go. Oh, I'm gonna put my headphones on. Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes back to life. Back to life. It's elementary, my dear Watson. Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. again it, i mean this hears me oh that was too loud i see what you're saying um so that was uh that was to me one of the go away uh that was to me one of the coolest coolest like really out there takes on sherlock holmes is because it same kind of premise like hey we thought you died in in the cartoon series he, they were frozen Moriarty both Moriarty and Holmes were both frozen. Holmes gets defrosted basically, and they bring him back, and he's helping. I think her name is also Lestrade, and then Watson's intellect and knowledge is placed inside of an android. Um, he then puts a a Watson mask on, and a, a big element of the story then becomes Watson accepting or rather Holmes accepting Watson as Watson and not a robot. Um, it, it's a really kind of, again, different take where at the end of the day, it's still a Watson and Holmes story. You're just adding these fantastical, these like sci-fi elements to it. So I think that's what these two stories kind of compare really well in that you're still at the end of the day doing more with the characters and more with the world building from that answer. Who <laughs> gives me cancer? Why? Why do you say that? Uh, I think it really does give uh, give credit to to the creators of that show because I think it's again it's just about the characters. It's not robots and science and crazy stuff. Oh, also Sherlock Holmes. It's very much Sherlock Holmes, the music, the whole thing. I mean, yeah, but it's from the, the late 90s. I mean, you saw the graphics. They were not great. <laughs> no, it's 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 that kind of stuff. 
you're young. You're young. You didn't live through it, man. That was the golden age. Modern cartoons are garbage. Modern cartoons are garbage. I said it. Take it to the bank. Modern cartoons are garbage. No, no one has any creativity. Everyone is just, uh, everyone's just rehashing the same old stuff. I think, uh, I think I would like to see uh, a good continuation of Ma uh, Mighty Max, but Mighty Max was such a tightly woven story that you couldn't do a sequel. You couldn't do a sequel. You couldn't do a continuation. You'd have to remake it, and I feel like if they did, it would be trash. That's that's the problem I have with it. If you don't know Mighty Max, you should absolutely watch Mighty Max. So part of the new Ed, Ed, Ed and Eddie, and his trash. I don't even know what that is. What Ed, 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 Ed and Eddie. That's just too much air. Eh. Too much, too much air eh sound. Uh, but, but that's what I'm saying. I think it's, uh, it's an, it was an amazing cartoon show. Amazing, you said. Amazing. You said amazing. Like, that's a big word. Amazing is a big word, friend. But anyway, I think this is an excellent, excellent kids, kids on the block. The heck is kids on the block? See, I don't even know that. Kids on the block. It's not a thing. <laughs> it's not. It's not a thing. <laughs> There's new kids on the block. That was a. Uh, music group i put that in quotes <laughs> i say was i think they're actually still doing stuff kids next door okay i thought that's what you meant kids next door candy um candy's a very very interesting uh and that's the, that's the kind of thing like i think that was kind of the last the last great story the last great comic book or tv show uh is when did that start 2002 yeah that was that was right at the back end of that uh because you th i think before this you had like recess which i thought was a really really good series um but i think after <sighs> adventure time ah, i have so many things to say about adventure time it's so weird it's so weird it's not for kids and that's and, and that's the thing adventure time if you're an adult and you like that stuff perfectly fine i don't care whatever uh, it's a weird, you know, it's a weird thing and you can like your weird thing and that's fine. But like, I'm talking cartoons for kids. I, I saw the new Spider-Man cartoon and it is dreadful. It is ugly. It has literally no shadows except for one or two shots here and there. And it bothers me. Dexter's Laboratory is absolutely for kids. What are you talking about? It has it has some jokes, yeah. It has some very interesting jokes, I'm sure. All right, let's see, let's see. Dexter's laboratory. I'm pretty sure. It's an animated series. I'm trying to see what the it says like a target audience. No, I mean that's that's definitely a kids kid series. Yeah, it's Hanna Barbera. Come on, come on, it's Hanna Barbera. They're they're not gonna not make stuff for kids. But what you meant is what? What is it that you meant, Blaster? Too much for the kids. See, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. Um, I think it's kind of like SpongeBob. I think it's 
I, I think it's a very much, if you look at something like Gargoyles, which I thought was a super duper dark series. Um, when I originally watched it, I didn't think it was that dark. I just thought it was, I was taking the, the surface lessons and the surface ideas like loyalty, friendship, family, that kind of stuff. And but when you actually, if you actually watch Gargoyles as an adult, Gargoyles is an incredibly dark series about about backstabbing and and hate and and racism and just a whole lot of really dark stuff and like tough like harsh subjects. So I, I think that's the kind of show that holds up. If you look at the original uh, X Men series from the '90s, same thing. X Men was hard, like hardcore about racism. I mean, there was there was on the. And you have to understand, in the comics, this wasn't even that big of a thing. It wasn't that big of a thing. But the Friends of Humanity that was on the animated series in the 90s for the X-Men, that was something that was such a big element of that show that was such a small element of the cartoon, or the comics. So, like, they amped up this, like, hyper-racist, clan-like, mutant-hating group to really delve down into into like a racism mentality like how 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 to treat hyper racists like that um so i think it's it, it was very interesting but like again it was for kids it was a kids cartoon series and you had your you know bright outfits and all the 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 kids friendly stuff but at the same time they were like real low-key sneaking in these heavy lessons and i think you lose that in in modern cartooning Courage the Cowardly Dog. I don't think I know that one. Courage the Cowardly Dog. He says, oh, do watch. Uh, when was it? 1999. I, I remember seeing, I remember seeing, um, like, promos for it. I don't think I ever watched it. Uh, it looks, at least based on the art style, it looks like it could be in the vein of Ren and Stimpy. Um, which I'll be honest, I wasn't a big fan of. Granted, that was back then. I was, what, 14? <laughs> the thing is that these kids' cartoons go on. Are supposed to be for kids, but are way more than that. The, the ones from the 90s, early 2000s, I absolutely agree. I think the problem is the modern ones have... They're intelligent, the humor, and so on. Yes, and I think, again, the these early 2000s, late 90s cartoons, even early 90s cartoons, absolutely fit that mold, and they still did what what these companies want them to do. The thing about the, thing about the modern cartoons, I think they are 100% made to sell toys. I think the great thing that we got from the 90s and early 2000s is that those were shows that were done well, produced well, had really good stories, and also sold toys. <laughs> like, it wasn't just about selling toys. I think the problem is now in the modern day, and this and everyone's guilty of this. It's not just like the, the kids' cartoons that are on TV. You look at, they made a, an entire Batman movie, like animated movie series just to sell toys, literally. Uh, I forget what it's called. I think it's called Batman Adventure or something like that. Batman Adventure. I don't know what it's called, but it's 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 some weird. 
see. Batman animated movie. Pull it up. Pull it up. Come on. Batman, Batman Unlimited. Batman Unlimited is 100% a toy. A, a toy selling. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. It literally. He just, he just shows up in different costumes. Constantly. Which then just makes him be a toy selling thing. Uh, you have a joke from Dexter saying there's a printing on the mom's butt saying dad's a trophy. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty adult. That's pretty adult. But you can, but can you see that as a kid, you might not think that? You might not think that that's that bad as a kid. So let's, here, let me pull this up here. Well, no, that's not. So yeah, this this is the the new Batman Unlimited series, and this is literally just to sell toys. The art is bad. I mean, the art is terrible. It's just, but look, here's one different suit. Here's the main suit. Here is, oh, there's like a robot dog. <laughs> there's another suit. Like it's just, it's just toys. It's just toys. <laughs> It's just, let, let's sell all these toys. Where, like, in the 90s, they sold a ton of toys, but they just did it based off the normal stuff. It was the comics and the cartoon series, but then they had, like, uh, the, the thing I always re remember is uh, Total Justice action figures. Um, this was the stuff. This was based on, like, the comics slash the TV shows, and he's with, like, these heavily armored Batman and, fla like, Flash with mad armor, which I think is ironic, because I think the new Flash in the movies has armor. Like, this was the kind of stuff they sold back then, based solely on the material that was out that was being done well. So it wasn't, let's make a whole series about making toys, it was, let's make a series that people will like, the kids will like, and I think that's the other problem is because uh, this is this is my problem. I realized like where the mentality was uh, about three, four years ago. Ben 10, which I'll admit, I never really watched heavily, but I do appreciate. Ben 10 originally was basically this kid freaking, you know, 10 different aliens he turns into. He grew up, he then had Ben 10 Ultimate Alien, had a bunch more aliens, bunch more toys, right? And then they were like, yo, we're going to relaunch it. Why? Because kids buy toys. So we had to turn back to kids. We couldn't come up with something new. No, we have we have the mold still, or these are easy to make, or whatever stupid reason. Like this looks like hot garbage to me, and that's the, that's the difference. I think that's the key difference is something like Ben Ten. I thought was brilliant that it was growing with its audience. You could follow kids into teenagers and have them become fans of something more grown up, something more more serious. But they were like, nah, we want we want kids to do it. Yeah, for sure. They sold a ton of Ben 10. I remember I used to work at a, a retailer here, and there was we always had Ben 10 displays. Always. 
And I and like quite honestly, I would look at it and be like, well, that's kind of cool. Maybe I might, might pick one up. Like, and I'm an adult and I don't watch things. So like, it just it bothers me. I mean, like they even had a live action version. Like they had a live action Ben 10. Apparently they have a CG. Like there's all these different things. But and I think he's grown up again because this is this is a new version of him being more grown up. Ben 10 Omniverse. I'm just saying. It, it, it's it's like, oh, this worked. Let's do it again. And I bet you, I bet you any amount of money, they're going to do it again. Three, five years from now, they're going to be like, all right, the audience has moved past the buying, buying toys phase. Let's go ahead and reset and just do it again. We'll make another Ben 10 kid series. And the problem with that is it makes money. So why wouldn't you, right? I've I've met the guys behind the property. I've met uh I think it's called uh Action Something Studio. Dang it, I can't think of it. Ben 10 Wikipedia. There we go. Man of Action. Man of Action Studio. Duncan Rouleau, Joe Casey, Joe Kelly, Steve Siegel. Those are all comic book writers. They're all the like three out of the four of them are my some of my favorite writers. So, like, I can't be mad at them. Like, it's hard for me to be mad at them. Like, hey, make that money, right? Yeah, this was... 2016 was the reboot. Let's see. Uh, no pictures, really? Toys and merchandise. Look at that. Look at that. Uh-huh. Video games. Live-action game show. And it's just, it's just franchising and branching off the same thing. It's just trying to make money. And I, and again, I can't be mad at nobody trying to make money. But it's just like, you look at that. So you look at Spider-Man, the animated series from the 90s. Boom. Look at that. Classic Spidey. Good art. You look at the next Spider-Man. Uh, Unlimited. Again. Very good. Good evolution. It had some really cool concepts. It brought in some other Marvel characters. And then it was, after that, I think it was, I think it was spectacular. And I won't lie. I was real mad about this show. I thought the art was super, like... Like too angular, just not 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 comic book enough. It just felt like real lazy comic, like real lazy art. Like this was kind of one of the first things I saw. But I will tell you, the story writing in this series, incredible. I think this series to this day has the best Venom. I don't not, not the whole Venom story, but the. The moment where Peter Parker casts off the Venom suit, I think the best one is in this series. Then you look at, um, what was after Spectacular? Spider-Man. Animated Spider-Man. What was the other series? Ultimate. Ultimate Spider-Man was the new one. Can I restart the webcam thing? Is my webcam freezing up? It's delayed. How about now? How about now?
still. Hmm. Let's I'll unplug. Plug it back. How about now? Then they did Ultimate Spider-Man. What? Why is it all expanded? I don't know. I'll, uh, I'll adjust the window in OBS. Okay. Yeah, you know, it must have been the way, the way, uh, uh, the way caffeine interprets the OBS stream. Ultimate Spider-Man. Again, I think it went back to, it went back to more of the better art roots, but then it brought in this element, the like little chibi angel and devil on the shoulder, little chibi asides, and I was like, eh, yeah, yeah. but again, but again. It at least did better art and better stories. The little asides was whatever. Marvel's Spider-Man is the new one. Marvel's Spider-Man, the animated series. Look, do, do you see the, the point of the head? It Like this... Just, just jaggedy, like, feel like it stabs someone with the face. But the biggest key that I want to bring up, there's not a single shadow on this dude. And not a single one. Same thing. The background has shadows, but that's because there's somebody else drawing the backgrounds. I was so incredible. I watched the the moment where oh interesting. See like but this is the kind of thing like if this is on the show I hate to say it but I'm gonna have to watch it because I like Citizen V But is this the Iron Man that's on that show? It's terrible. That's ugly. Come on. But I watched, I watched the moment, and here, here's, I think this is it. That was right after the moment. I watched the, the setup sequence where he got the powers, and this is right when he got bit, right? There's, again, no shadows. The only time you see the shadows, this is like a weird, like, front-facing, like, really kind of meant to give you some sort of emotional reaction when he got bit or when he opened the door and he he saw the machine like radiating or whatever i was like oh wow why does this look so different and then i realized it's because there's so much light from this machine that it was actually casting shadows and they've not done that in the entire sequence prior to it that i was like what what and i like it made me realize how bad it was like, this whole scene, the best part about it is the thing that he's on. 
like it, it's so i think this is where a lot of animation is going these days there's there's an outstanding what is the new dragon ball called uh dragon ball uh super and there are the show that airs versus what's on the dvds the show that airs is so badly done um there there was a whole article done about this Let's see, let's see. Um, I think it was just anime broadcast versus DVD. No. They was it Osaku? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some something like this. Basically, it shows off like the the original broadcast version and like how much more detail the DVD has. And you look at certain things, and you're just kind of like wow like it's almost as if a certain like as if a different crew is working on it like right here this is a perfect example tv broadcast like this is not bad but there's just so much more detail in the dvd version (laughs) they uh the, the the original article that i was thinking about is they had um dragon ball super broadcast versus dvd there we go Here's the difference. Like, that's trash. Like, the difference... Look look at that hand. That fist is terrible. I mean, like, that fist looks like I drew it. And then for the Blu-ray, you've got somebody that just, like, really clearly knows the material and knows how to draw. And I don't know what happens. I don't know, like, why that happens. It just... There's really no reason... Oh, that's just a comparison of the old versus the new. I'm not going to lie, both of these kind of (laughs) suck. It's just, it's very, very interesting to me, like, how much they're willing to... Oh, this, this this is the one. And I'm like, this can't be real. Like, the left one looks like some kid did it. But then when you pull up the actual video, it's ridiculous. I'll cut the audio. What is going on with my super sandwiches? Ralph's not here and today I want to do- Like so much less detail in the TV version. Like so much less detail. Oh, I thought this guy was going to show the actual... Oh my god, that's terrible. Seriously, the one, like, it's clearly a different studio doing it. Like, that's not even done by the same artist. It's so ridiculous. I think, is this, I hope this is the video. There's...
Oh, he shows the shots. Yeah, that's that's such a ridiculous. Like this is a crazy difference. Wow. And it's it's again, it's it's laziness. It's laziness. It's the the lack of a desire to produce something that's truly worthwhile. No, I just read it. It was what you were saying. Yeah, yeah, it's it's to put it. Yeah, it's it's to speed up for release. But that's stupid. Who cares? Dragon Ball Super was so delayed. Like Dragon Ball Super was so far behind the last series. Who cares? You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't matter when you put it out. You could have made the whole series, or the whole first season, or whatever. And then, like, made it right and put it out. And then you don't have to do it twice. You literally don't have to do it twice. Because it just seems like they have two studios doing it. One really fast studio that's, like, just good enough. And then the, the good one. Because these this can't be just, like, fixes. It looks like they've redone the entire sequence. And that's a lot of freaking work. It's not released for America first. Yeah, it's it's absolutely not released for America first. Yeah, it's just a Japanese series. It's just very interesting to me to see kind of how that how that works. All right, I think I think we're gonna call it there. Um, Blaster, you weren't there when I saw said this earlier. Later tonight, we're gonna have. Um, yeah, yeah, they release episodes in Japan weekly, but they do that with TV shows here too, and cartoon series here too. It's just that they work ahead. So like, I mean, it's like the same way TV series work, like live action works. They film months ahead. They have to, otherwise you're just trying to crank out, you know, how many hours of filming and story and all this other stuff. That's another point to sell DVDs, yeah, but I feel like it's if it was just good to begin with, wouldn't you just want to own it? I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm weird. I'm a weird mentality. I don't, I'm not buying DVDs anyway. So, like, that I'm not the target audience. So I don't know. As I was saying, you weren't here when I said this. Uh, later today, I'm going to have a special bonus episode of Panels on Pages. Uh, it's... I'm actually going to be talking with the creator of a book that I just finished reading from, I'll show you, boom, Samurnauts. Uh, it, I just finished it. I, I picked it up at C2E2. Um, it is uh, fantastic. It's delicious. It's a great story. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to be speaking with the creator, one of the creators tonight. Uh, so make sure you're, you're on tonight. I want to do that. That's going to be it for this episode. For those watching and listening in the future, thank you for hanging out. Thank you for listening and watching. Uh, make sure you check out the live broadcast on Caffeine every Wednesday, usually between 10 and 11 a.m. Central Time. Uh, not counting the special broadcast. It's going to be a little bit later. Make sure you guys check us out on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Make sure you subscribe to the main channel, youtube.com slash t3gmedia. And we'll see you in the next one.